ask God's blessings on this sacred moment together in his word. Most gracious and eternal Father, we come before your presence tonight with our heads bowed in almost submission, our hearts lifted to you and our lips filled with praise. Thank you for this day and thank you for these shared moments together in worship. We reverence you as our God and as you have made us and now we ourselves. We pray now for your presence and your power in this preaching moment. Grant us now the anointing that makes preaching easy. Give us the physical strength and spiritual energy to declare your word faithfully tonight. Touch the eyes, the ears, the minds and hearts of your people. Our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your truth. Our ears that we may hear your truth. Our minds that we may understand and comprehend the truth of your word. But most importantly, open our hearts that we may receive with meekness your word which is able to save all souls. Evangelize every sinner, edify and energize your church. Exalt your glorious name. Speak, Lord, for we, your servants, we're listening. It is in the mighty, magnificent, majestic, matchless name. That's above every name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All believers say amen. Amen. How good the Lord is. What a blessing it is for us to be here in the Lord's house, on the Lord's Sides to give the Lord the praise and honor and glory that he deserves. To your very fine pastor, my friend and my brother, our president, a leader for excellence, Dr. Carlton Hold. Thank you again publicly for this opportunity to share from this place that the Lord has entrusted to your care. And to all of the ministers of the gospel who are present, we are happy again to be in your company. And to my brothers and sisters who make up this beautiful congregation, thank you for your presence here tonight. I'm not going to hold you long. I'm so happy that these brothers have come from Selma, Alabama. Amen. I blew the horn when I was passing Broads by Broad and Mender today, and they were packing up, ready to come, and they going back, and I'm not, so I want to make sure they get back at a decent hour. Amen. Uh, I, I, I was telling them, you know, if I don't preach too long, they say it's a good steakhouse over here. Uh, all big mites. I'm going to try to let y'all get over there before it closes. But that's all up to the Lord. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight, brothers. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I want to look at verses 1 through 12 of this passage. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Scripture. And we 
find in your copy of God's word, the reading therein is thus. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bela Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the seraphim. And they carried the ark of God on a, a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahol, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. And with the ark of God, and Ahol went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because God had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is called Paris Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. The hand of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. For a few moments tonight, I want to talk from this thought. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. Brothers and sisters, many of you perhaps grew up in a home like mine. My parents were not dictators, but they didn't play either. One, a whole lot of democracy going on in the house. It was do as I say. And don't ask me any questions. I was like any other typical teenage boy. I test my limits. I would push the boundaries of the restrictions my parents placed upon me. Uh, 
And whenever I would decide that I wanted to test my mother, test my father, they would remind me, as long as you live under this roof, you will do things my way. If you cannot do things my way, you need to find you somewhere else to stay. You can't stay here if you can't abide by my rules. They were letting me know that there were consequences to doing things my way. It was consequences to me making conscious choices no matter how much I could try to explain what I did and why I did. No matter how rational my decision may have seemed, they wanted me to do it their way. It was consequences if I failed to do so. Yes, Brothers and sisters, the Heavenly Father is much more serious about this than Alison Otis was. He is very particular about how he wants things done. What I love about God is that he's a big God that transcends time, that he's far beyond our thoughts, he's far beyond our ways. The Bible says that the heavens are above the earth, so his thoughts above our thoughts, his ways above our ways. But even though God is so busy that he's holding all of the world together, that he's sovereignly controlling all the affairs of the universe, God, who sees everything, is also very particular about small details. Because he won't say he's done a certain way. This is why Paul tells the church at Corinth, whatever you do, make sure you do it decent and in order. Because things that you may overlook and things that you may think are not a big deal are really a big deal to God because for God, the details matter. So, brothers and sisters, it may be a good idea, but that does not make it a God idea. It can be good stuff, but it does not make it God-ordained stuff. And you and I must make up our mind that we're going to live our lives to respect the holiness of God and strive on a daily basis to try to do things God's way. Because this text shows us tonight that if you decide you want to test God, God will remind you who's really in control. That's a celebration going on. There is a well-organized parade that's happening in Israel. Everybody is lying in the street. All of the dignitaries have left their place of business. Everybody have shut down their commerce, their local small business. They have come to flood the streets of downtown Jerusalem because the ark of the Lord is coming into town. There's a parade going on and the Bible says that they have called together all the band, all the instruments, all the harps, all the lyres, all the tambourines, and there's noise in the city and people are dancing and having a good time as the presence of God is being escorted back into the city of God. Well organized. But suddenly something 
tragic happens. Something catastrophic occurs. Something somewhat mysterious takes place because God interrupts the party. He interrupts the party. He turns on the house lights before the DJ can say last call. He pulls the plug unexpectedly. He literally rains on their parade. God intervenes and the Bible says that God kills a man. Right there in the middle of a party. Right there in the middle of the parade, all the north has stopped. Everybody is standing still in their tracks. Mouths are wide open. And they're looking at a man that is a picture of health. A young man. A man who had his future days all in front of him. And now he's laying beside the Ark of the Covenant. And he's dead. And when they investigated the scene, it wasn't a terrorist act. It wasn't a sniper somewhere from an enemy's camp. When they investigated the problem, they recognized that God did it. God kills Uzzah right there in the middle of downtown. Right there in the middle of the parade, God kills the man. And the question tonight, my brothers and sisters, what did he do that was so bad? That God had to kill him. Yes, sir. I mean, God, can he get a warning? Lord, uh, can you just spank him on the hand? Can you, can you just try to verbally discipline? Why can't you just open up the heavens and say, oh, no, stop what you're doing. Why did you have to lay out your hand in such a powerful way? God, kill us. Surely, it was some people in the crowd that had some habits that was worse than others. Surely, he wasn't the worst person in the crowd. Surely, there was somebody there who had some handcuffs and some hiccups that was worse and more offensive to you than others. What did others do so bad, God, that you had to kill him right then? Yes, sir. Tell us. If you really want to know, we got to go back 20 years ago. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel goes to battle. When Israel goes to battle against the Philistines, the Bible says that they come in with their heads hung high, but they leave with their heads tucked between their tails. They receive a whooping that they would never forget. The Philistines defeated Israel. And as the elders sat there contemplating what went wrong, somebody said, we lost because we did not have the ark. We lost because we left the ark at home because the ark is a physical manifestation of God's presence amongst his people. And they're saying, I remember we heard the story that when they got ready to cross the Red Sea, they put the ark of the covenant in the water. And the Bible says that God stopped the waters of the Jordan. I remember when I heard the story at the walls of Jericho, they marched around the walls carrying the ark of the covenant. And on the seventh day, they had marched on seven times they let out a shout and the walls of Jericho came crumbling down we lost 
because we left the ark. We lost because we thought we could do it without God. We lost because we were depending on our military might and our strategic planning and we thought that with our military generals and the organized plan that they had we could win and we left God's presence at home. Let me just stop here and say something to you greater first and friends believe me this when you try to go out on your day to day journey trying to do things under your own power and you don't pause and ask the Lord to go with you to be beside you to enable you somewhere down the line, you're going to suffer a massive defeat because there are certain things God won't allow you to do without his help. Yeah, we lost. Go back and get the art. If we get the art, we'll win. But you know what happened? They brought the art down to the battlefield and they lost again. Oh God. It seemed like that would have been the solution. Bring the ark and things will turn around. Remember God and God will remember you. And God said, Culver, have you lost your mind? Do you think that I'm so naive that I could be manipulated that you would just rub me and call on me when you need me and think that's just because you remember to say, hey, God, will you help me that I got to show up and do your bidding? Who you think you are? I want to tell you something. God is sick of us trying to manipulate him. God is sick of us trying to play church with him. God is sick of us trying to use him as a spare time. God is sick of us trying to just call on him and ask God to do something for us when we aren't doing anything for him. The problem in Israel was not that they left the presence at the camp with the ark. The problem was they were not respecting God and they were following after idol gods. God says, you can go through your routine. You can go through your order service. You can go through your traditions and your rituals. But if your heart is not in it, I don't look at the outward appearance. I'm not impressed by your melodious sound. I'm not impressed by your ability to tune in a fact. I'm not impressed by how many people pat you on your back. I'm not impressed by how much you give. God says, I don't look at the outward. I look at your heart. So Israel loses again. And this time, the ark is taken into captivity. The Philistines take the ark. And this is what happened. They, they thought the ark was just another god. So they took the ark into the king, the temple of their god, chapter 5. And the Bible says that when they placed them next to dragon, which was their God, they left them there overnight. And when they came back to check on it, dragon was face down before the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all don't hear me. God, God knows how to make stones fall down and worship him. Y'all don't hear me. God knows how to remind even statues who's really God. You remember what Jesus said? If you hold your peace, I'll make a stone praise me. 
fall down. So they decide we're going to pick it back up and place it. Obviously, somebody bumped it. So the next day they came back in church and, and Dragon was again on his face. But this time his head was not attached to his body. And not only was his head gone, but his hands were gone as well. Because God wants you to know, I don't need you to defend my holiness. I know how to defend myself. I know how to take care of my own reputation. And if you will not worship me and will not honor me, I don't need you to make my name great. I will move in such a way that your enemies will know that even if you don't worship me, I'm still God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh. And then they got the medical clinics was running over. People's tumors are all over their bodies and they said, get rid of it. Get this all out of here. Yes, sir. The Bible says that they went from there, took the ark down to their next no neighbor's house. And when they got down there to Gath, the same thing happened. Tumors breaking out on people's body. They figured out what it was. And then they tried to pass it on to their neighbor's house. When they tried to take it down to Ephraim, Ephraim said, oh no, we know what's happening up there down the road. We don't want it down here. Take it somewhere else. Yes, sir. Finally, in chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant ends up at a man by the name of um, Abinadab's house. And it stays there for 20 years. And now when we flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is now the king. David is king. Paul is, Saul is dead. His sons are dead. David has been um, inaugurated as the new king of Israel. And the first thing David says is, uh, the first executive order that I have is we have to go and get the ark. David recognizes the importance of God's presence amongst his people. David had a heart after God. David was a worshiper in his heart. And he recognized it does not matter how much military power you have if you don't have God's presence. It's like uh, Moses at the foot of Mount Sinai That's right. says Lord if you don't go up with us we going to stay right here because it's not anything about us that makes us different but it's your presence with us that makes us different from all other people and David says we have to go get the ark and the Bible says David gets 30,000 men I mean my God David <laughs> Thirty thousand men. Yes, sir. I mean, I think you could have took the mayor course. All you're doing is getting. You know, just take the deacon boy. Why, why, why you gotta take that thirty thousand? David says, when something means something to you, you don't cut corners. When something have your heart, you can show it by how you put forth effort. You don't take it for granted. He takes 30,000 well-able men to go down to uh, Benadab's house and bring back the cart. 
to get there and Abinadab's sons decide we're going to help you out. Put the cart on a new put the cart on a new cart. Put it next up to some oxen. And the Bible says that they had got everything locked and loaded and they were getting ready 30,000 men with Abinadab's two sons and they're getting ready to go back to Israel, go back down to the city of David in Jerusalem with the ark. And as they're going down the hill, All right. yeah. they get to the threshing floor of Nikon. Yeah. And the Bible says that the ark begins to stumble. Yeah. When the ark starts to stumble, Uzzah decides to reach out and grab it. Because he's simply trying to make sure that it doesn't fall. And God says, that's where he messed up. He says, what's going on in this text is that over the course of these 20 years, Israel has lost its reverence for holy things. And Israel has forgotten that you can't mishandle what's holy. Preach, preach, I'm trying my best. Israel has forgotten that when you're dealing with holy stuff, even though you're unholy, and even though you are sinful, and even though you are broken and finite, there's a certain way you have to handle holy stuff. Yeah. That's right. Let me, let, me, let me say this, church. Um, uh, what we have done is we've lost our reverence for God and holy things. It was once upon a time that you just didn't do certain things in church. It was once upon a time that you just had a proper reverence when you came in God's house. It was once upon a time that there were certain things you didn't say when you crossed over on this holy ground. It was certain things that you would hold your peace. It was certain things you knew. Don't touch God's anointed, nor do his prophet any wrong. There was certain things we had reverence for. But now we got a little educated. Now we can drive a couple of luxury vehicles. And we got a few dollars in the bank. And we can go shopping at Macy's and Belts and Dillard's and, and get what we want every now and then. We, we've got beside ourselves. And as we've got beside ourselves, we've lost our reverence for God. And we are starting to mishandle holy things. I says, when, 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 when you decide... That you don't want to have proper reverence for what I call holy. I have to make an example for you. I have to make other an example so that Israel will recognize who I am. And recognize that you don't play with me. I'm God. I'm holy. And when you deal with the things that belong to me, you have to reverence them because I said they're holy. Come here. Let me get a little bit closer to you. Things are holy because God said they're holy. I'm going to say it again. Back up so you missed it. Things are holy because God called them holy. Uh, you know, certain things that you may not pay any attention to. I know it's certain people that occupy certain places. And everything they do is not holy. But um, you better be careful how you deal with them. Y'all don't hear me. 
You better be careful how you talk to them. Because they're not holy because of their moralistic perfection. But it's holy because God says it's holy. Y'all don't hear me. It's certain things that you, when I was growing up, there was a table that was laid before the church called the communion table, and it was holy. And when you were having communion, there were certain things you just didn't touch that table. This place was holy, and people we should tell children, don't you run across that pulpit. Get down because it's holy. Not because the men who stand here are holy, but because God says it's holy. You ought to have reverence yes, for the things of God. Yes, I don't know what happens in the text. He does two things. The Bible says he killed him because of his error. What is his error? Um, the two things he did to miss Hamlet was one, they put the art on a cart. They put the art yeah. on a cart. Yeah. When God gave them instructions for making the art, yeah. take gopher wood. Build the ark, make you some seraphim, put them facing one another. And I want you to put it, plate it in gold. And then put rings at the corners of the ark. Take you a stick of gopher wood, plate the gopher wood with gold, stick it between the rings. And when you get ready to move this ark, don't you put it on a cart. The priests and the Levites are the only ones who have permission to pick up this ark and they move this ark when I say move it. So now in this story, you got so advanced because you see a heel and you see some nice innovative ideas and it looks like a good idea to put the ark on the cart and let it roll down the hill but God said carry the cart. God said carry and you started riding on a new yes, cart. Yes, Thought you were doing something to impress God. Yeah. And God told Saul that obedience is better than sacrifice. And you have forgotten that God is not interested in how beautiful you can make it. God just wants you to do it his way. Yes, sir. Hey. Hey. You know what, Pastor Old? Let me get out of here. You go to Big Mike's. <laughs> Where did they get the idea from? They got the idea from the Philistines. The Philistines made an ark, made a cart, and brought the ark from the Philistines to their neighbors on a cart. And here it is God's people are taking worldly ideas and trying to make it holy. Y'all come in. Church folk need to learn that everything that's going on in the world ain't meant to come up in the church. We got churches that look more like clubs now. Lights dim, party lights flashing everywhere, and everybody say, oh, that's good, it's fun, it looks good, then y'all folks love it, but let me ask you a question, God does not need a, a holy party, God needs a sacred assembly of people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, and we don't need party lights to get our praise on. It looks good, but it does not mean it's good. 
some of the songs we sing now come straight from the DJ in a studio beat. You can't, they got the difference between gospel and R&B. Ain't no blood in it. Ain't no cross in it. Ain't nothing sacred about it. And we bring it in God's house and we start dancing and jumping around, call ourselves worshiping. And we have taken things that were secular and trying to make them spiritual. As if that is how you connect with people who have lost God does not need the world to make his point in the world. Uh, get on out of here. I know you like it. But you don't do it your way. You do it God's way. Uh, and not only that, the last thing is, it was on the cart. And then, others touched it. He touched it. And listen to this. Notice, notice the domino effect. It was on the cart. All right. And evidently, the cart hit a rocky road. All right. All right. It wasn't supposed to be on the cart anyway. The cart hit a rocky road. Right. The cart started shaking. And then the others on the side that he's going to reach out and touch it because he's trying to protect the valuable asset of that gold-plated cart when he didn't recognize that it's not about the gold-platedness of it, it's the fact that God's presence remains within it. Touches the ark. God says, that's it. I'm going to kill you right here because I have to make an example so that my people would know that you can't mishandle the holy stuff. You got to do it God's way. And can I get out of here by telling you it worked? Oh, yes, it did. It worked so good that King David stopped dancing and started sinking. It worked so good that he lost his step. And he just started trembling. The king got so afraid that he said, don't bring it down here. Yes, sir. Because he now has a fear of God. And he's so fearful of it. He says, don't bring the ark into the city of David. And then leave it at a man by the name of Obed Edom house. Obed Edom. Left it at his house. And the Bible says, and Obed Edom set it up in his house. And the word got out to David. That everything that was wrong in Obed Edom's house, then God straightened out. God don't hear me. The word got out to David, and all of a sudden, Obed Edom and the missus is getting along better. Y'all don't hear me. It got out that all of a sudden, them children that start behaving themselves. It got out that not only that financial blessings are coming on that house, and David says, hold on. Maybe the problem wasn't God. Maybe the problem was in us. Maybe it wasn't God just trying to hurt us. Maybe us just did something that made God angry. Because he recognizes that when you handle holy things the right way and you do it God's way, blessings are on the way. So David says, 
Y'all go on down to Obed Edom's house. Yeah. Tell Obed Edom I want that ark yeah. in my city. Yeah. Because I got some things in my city that ain't right. Yeah. And if the ark is straight out your house, I believe if I would give God proper reverence and give God proper holiness, yeah. then blessings will come to my house. I just believe that if God is blessing you because of how you respect him, if I would bring God home with me, God would start blessing my house too. Can I tell you something new, greater? It ain't no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he would do the same thing for you if you take him home and you respect his presence. Oh, David said, tell him, Culliver, on your way back to Selma, that if you do it God's way, God knows how to turn things around. If you do it God's way, God knows how to make those rain clouds roll away. If you do it God's way, God knows how. To straighten out what's crooked. And he knows how to make crooked places straight. And rough places plain. If you do it God's way. Then God will make sure that blessings are headed your way. And I'm in my seat tonight. But is there anybody here that want to do it God's way? Is there anybody here tonight that want God's blessings to follow you home? And you want to make sure that everything that God has for you, that you receive it in Jesus' name. All you have to do tonight is go home and submit yourself to God and show God proper reverence. I know you're not perfect tonight now, and there's some things in your life that ain't quite where they need to be now. But if you show God reverence, God knows how to clean up what's messed up. And God knows how to straighten up what you got out of place. Now, do I have any witnesses here now? Somebody here uh, ought to testify now that I tried it my way. And when I tried to do it my way, things kept falling apart. But when I finally humbled myself and said, Lord, not my will, but let thy will be done. Take my little life and make it what you want it to be. And you can testify tonight that since you did it God's way, he's opened up windows of heaven and poured down blessings that you cannot receive. When you did it God's way, he knows how to kick it and press it down, shake it together, run it over and cause your enemies to start feeding you. Do I have any help in him now? When you're doing God's way now, he knows how to take what the devil, the devil meant for evil now and turn it around for your good now. Is there anybody here now that can testify now that I'm blessed now because I did it now? God's way now is not my education.
Blessed be thou over and over again. He keeps on making a way. If you don't mind tonight, just help me close my sermon and turn to somebody and say, Name, I want you to get everything that God has for you. I want you to get every blessing that God has in store for you. And if you want it, all you gotta do is do it God's way. I'm done, church. Pray the Lord bless you real good. But before I close, I gotta talk about Jesus. I'm so glad that he did it God's way. There was a crowd that tried to make him king, but he snuck out because he did it God's way. Satan met him in the wilderness and tried to give him three shortcuts, but he said, devil, you are a liar. I'm going to do it God's way. The crowd came looking for more bread, and Jesus said, I'm bread man, but I am the bread of life. Eat me and you will live. He did it God's way. And one Friday, he was in the garden praying the full day. Said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Let your will be done. Is there anybody here that's glad tonight that the Savior did it God's way? He took his cross, took down the Villa Della Rosa, went on a hill called Calvary. They hung him high, they stretched him wide, and he died on the cross. But because he did it God's way, he stayed there. All night Friday, and because he did it God's way, he stayed there all day Saturday. But early, hallelujah, early, bless his name, early Sunday morning, he got up. 